0: My name is Sheriff Rowdy, and I started my day in 1879 in the Dakotas, but this little lady says I am now in 1944 France. She's being chased by these men named Nazis. It's like they got the devil. Well, she needs a good partner, and I'm not one to leave someone to fight evil alone. Get the rip roaring adventure of Cowboys vs. Nazis at MythMart.com or Amazon. And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on, all lady, one There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest! Don't you cry. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 130, 130 of Lupas Bits. I am your host, Lupa, and We're just going to call this episode the hot one, because it's hot. Summer finally hit. It is the 21st of June, the first day of summer, and it's actually hot. Um, It hasn't been overly hot in my apartment. I've been perfectly fine. I've kind of had the fan in the living room just oscillating back and forth and back and forth, doing its thing. Didn't really need it on, but the last couple of days... um, I have needed it on. Last night, I actually got the. Uh, I have one of those stupid um, uh, a supposed to be AC air cooler things, and you put the filter in the freezer, and it makes the it blows out the air a little cooler. But you know, anyway, I took the filter out of the freezer last night and filled it up with water. Normally, I just use it as a fan. And I have a fan on either side of the bed because, you know, menopause. Um, But, yeah, I took it out last night and actually used it. And um, it was hot. I slept on top of the blankets. And it's hot. It was hot all day. And it's now 10 to 10 at night. And it's still 83 degrees in my apartment. I'm hoping to suck in some of the cooler air from outside, but, you know, it is what it is. So, um, I have a book coming out in, um, July that I'm working on, and I actually managed to figure out how it's going to end, so now I have to finish writing it, um, So there's that. And I'm not exactly sure what we have for uh, housekeeping because I didn't ask. Um, So there isn't any housekeeping this week. (laughs) I don't even have my live studio audience Um, because I just realized it's 10 o'clock. He just where he is, it's only seven o'clock. So he just took his girls out for sushi And, um, I said, you know, I'll podcast when, when you come out, if I'm still awake. And I realized, oh crap, it's Wednesday. I have to podcast today so that he can edit it tomorrow. Well, he doesn't really edit it, but so that he can do what he needs to do with it tomorrow. Um, sorry, I'm having a brain fart. I'm, oh, okay. I was saying goodnight to my friend, um, she's been having a rough couple of days, I'll explain that in a minute, I'm going to talk about that, but, um, what was I, oh yeah, so I realized like, I need to podcast tonight, so I am podcasting, and as you can tell, I'm not used to doing it without him, um. I am podcasting um, without them, so there could be a lot of ums. There could be a lot of weirdness. I'm not sure if it's going to get ranty. It could. I have something I want to get off my chest. Um, But, okay, so my friend's been having a bit of a rough time. She messaged me the other day. Her Facebook, her personal page was hacked. Um, there's a long backstory to it. I'm not going to get into it. It's not my place to get into it, but needless to say, she cannot get into her Facebook. She got kicked out. Um, the hacker changed the email address right away, changed the phone number right away. So she can't even do that. Change the password right away. So everything she tries to do doesn't work. Like when she tries to do, you know, send me the email link, it goes straight to the hacker, not to her. Um, And Facebook is less than forthcoming with the help. They say report it. I don't know how many times I have reported uh, her messenger and it's still up, it's still running. And I actually have the conversation where the hacker is telling me if I give them $300, they'll give her back. Making it sound like a hostage situation. They are holding her her Facebook profile hostage. So um we're true, we've been trying everything that we can to try and get it back. We found actually found because there is no phone number to call Facebook. There isn't. And if you happen to find one online, it doesn't work. We've tried. Believe me, we've tried. There is no customer service for Facebook. There is no, really no email address. You have to do everything through Facebook. So if you think your Facebook account has been hacked, you have to report it from your Facebook account. Well, you can't report it from your Facebook account if you've been locked out of your Facebook account because it's been hacked. Other people have to report it. And unfortunately, to report a facebook page you can't report a page as hacked you can report the messenger as hacked but there isn't the hacked option for the facebook page i've looked other people have looked it's not there the option is not there and there isn't even a way for um her to you know when so they don't have access to that email or that phone number it says, okay, well, we're going to email you a code. Give us the code. And it emails it to the email she just told Facebook she didn't have access to. It is the stupidest roundabout bull crap I have ever seen in my life. So uh, she ended up creating another profile page. And she's kind of keeping it very low profile. Um, and we do still... You know, I'm not even going to touch wood. We do still have access to her business page, which thankfully is a good thing. But she is so upset about it. And I mean, in all reality, I don't think she's going to get the page back. I really don't. I don't think that they're going to give it back to her. I don't think Facebook is going to be any help. Because I'm sure they receive hundreds of thousands of emails a day about people whose accounts have been hacked. So by the time they get to her email, what's going to what's the, what's the point? You know, like it's all the damage is already done. Um, they did manage through her account. They did manage to hack her sister's account. Um, One of her other friends got hacked. I have done the absolute best that I can um, to um, make sure that my account is locked down tight so that nobody can hack it um, because I have a ton of accounts, pages attached to my personal account. Um, all of the business accounts are attached to my personal account because I created the pages. Um, Thankfully, I am admin on my friend's business page so I could add her new account and give her permissions on the page or she would have been screwed. She would have been screwed. She would have lost it all. But I don't know. I mean, the few of us have been having fun with the hackers, Uh, one of our friends, he, um, keeps telling them, you know, like, where's my money from the heist? You owe me my half and you could at least come and see Raymond. He is your son and, and stuff like that. And I, I sent them, um, a message saying, you know, um, I followed your step-by-step instructions on how to stab Marcus successfully package opened like a charm. Are you still coming over to help move the body? It's starting to smell um things like that just you know are you still you and actually I did that the other day I sent a message and I said are you you yet or are you still hacked and they replied with it's me and I went all right prove it crickets dead silence didn't say nothing back and I even flat out told them like I don't understand what you're expecting to get from hacking this person's account every one of her friends are broke as shit we are all broke people we have no money so you're not going to get anything the best that's going to happen is that you're going to hack our credit and improve it that like sure you want to steal my identity go right ahead you'll improve my credit rating (laughs) because you're not going to get anywhere else otherwise um and it always scares me when it happens to somebody I know because I get paranoid about all my accounts and I go and I change all the passwords and then I can never remember what I've changed them to because um, I'm not, I'm not um, writing them down because I'm too paranoid somebody's going to find them. And it's not like my stuff is all that important. Like I'm not, keeping parliamentary secrets and, and, you know, I've got Illumina, Illuminati documents hidden in my underwear drawer or in a file in a folder entitled SpongeBob cartoons. Um, and like I said, you want to steal my identity, you'll improve my credit rating, go right ahead. So, but I, I change all my passwords and then I'm, I'm 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 like i don't know what i changed it to i swear i changed the password on my iphone like at least twice a week because i go to the apple store to buy something and then it says put in your password and i put in what i think the password is and it goes that's not it i go but they go that's not it then they go okay put in the password for your phone okay that one i remember and i put that password in and they say okay now you can change your password so i change my password and then I try and do it again later, and then I've forgotten, and, yeah. I think I'm actually starting to use somebody else's passwords now because I have run out of variations of my passwords. I had two, three, three, and I've run out of variations to now they're telling me, no, that's an old password. You can't use something similar, um, all of that stuff. So, yeah. I'm hoping I've locked my stuff down, but um, it can happen to anybody. It can really happen to anybody. I use a VPN on my browsers now for that very reason. Um, I don't want my computer hacked because I do have some sensitive information. I do have other people's books and manuscripts. I have my own books and manuscripts, which to some might not mean anything, Um, but I do have financial documents on my laptop, so I need to keep them secure, so I have a VPN to do that. Anyway, um, yeah, so I've been dealing with that, or helping her deal with that, and it's been making her a little crazy, and she's been a little high-strung and a little upset, very upset, um, and... I don't know about you, but when you're already stressed out, like she generally runs on a high stress level. She doesn't seem to think she does, but she's always stressed out. She's always telling me my stress levels are very high. So that something like this just throws her over the edge. I have to talk her off the ledge of whatever building she is going to throw herself off of. Um, and then when you're already in that state and you try and do something else and it doesn't work, it compounds it by a thousand. So yeah, it can get pretty ugly. It did get pretty ugly. Um, but I tried to write today and it just, I did manage to finish the chapter that I was working on. I was hoping to at least finish that chapter and get most, if not all of the next chapter written today, because I kind of have a timeline of, of how I want to do this. You know, I, I have a very, once my brain gets going, once I get on a roll, I I'm not, and I'm seriously, I'm not bragging. And I know some writers struggle to even put out a thousand words, but I can sit down and write about 2,500 words in an hour and a half to two hours easy so for me to actually dedicate a day to writing i could put out between five and seven thousand words so the way that the story is going i am very close to the end of the story it's only going to take about another maybe fifteen thousand words so at five thousand words a day that's three days of solid writing that's it but i need to sit down and not be interrupted with helping other people. I need to shut out everybody else's problems and everybody else's drama and everybody else's situations and basically turn my phone off and just write. And um, the only problem with that is I don't get to spend a lot of time talking to my boyfriend because he's 3,000 miles away. So the phone right now is our only connection. And I actually had a nightmare last night that I lost my phone, that I, I had put it somewhere and I couldn't find it. I didn't know where it was and I was freaking out because that is the only way I have to communicate with my boyfriend. Now, granted, in real life, yes, I could get on my laptop, I could pull up Messenger, and we could talk that way, but I was freaking in my dream because I had lost my cell phone. So I couldn't get a hold of them, I couldn't talk to them, and I was a mess. So I don't like turning off my phone because when I do, something bad happens. Um, and I think this all stems from... The death of my dad. Now, yes, I apologize for the audio quality as well. I didn't hook up my mic tonight because it was kind of a last minute, spur of the moment, sit down, get ready, go. Um, I think this, this panic about my phone and having to keep my phone with me and keep my phone on. And even though I put it in sleep mode, phone calls will still ring through. I will still get phone calls. Um, And I think that all stems from when my dad was dying. Now, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. It'll be 15 years um, this August. And he was diagnosed in May. So by this point, 15 years ago, he was already fighting cancer. Um, He was in the hospital. We just celebrated my nephew's 15th birthday, and um, and we just celebrated Father's Day, and my dad was in the hospital when my nephew was born, and it was Father's Day, and um, my brother told my dad, you know, this is your Father's Day, your Christmas present, your birthday present for the next 10 years. My dad was absolutely thrilled beyond measure. That his son had a son. It was his firstborn. It wasn't his firstborn grandson. But it was his firstborn grandson from his son. His son had a son. It was a thing for my dad. Um, and we have pictures of my dad. In his hospital bed. Holding my nephew. And. and um, that's kind of. You know. We don't have any pictures outside of the hospital with my dad and my nephew because he was gone two months later. Like, my nephew was born in June and my dad was gone by August. So, and it's actually, you know what? I just realized it's the 21st today. It is exactly two months from today. Uh, yeah, two months from today. It'll be the anniversary of 15th anniversary of my dad's death. So I guess it's kind of fitting um, and I will probably be recounting some memories for the next few podcasts coming up. Um, August is usually if you've been listening from the beginning, you know August is usually a difficult month for me and there are a lot of uh, tearful moments. As I talk about my dad, and I experienced a situation—a very good—is a very it was it was a, a, an emotional moment, but it was emotional in a good way. This weekend, I went to my mom's this weekend. Now, you have to understand, my mom lives in a trailer that you can hook to the back of a pickup truck and take to Florida, which she does. She hires somebody, actually, because she doesn't drive a pickup truck. And I am not driving her trailer. I'm not going to be responsible for that. I will hook the beast up when we get there. But somebody else can take the responsibility of driving that beast to Florida. It's not going to be me. Um, It would be cheaper in hotels, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, so she lives in my brother's driveway for six months of the year. So I went to my mom's, and I. my brother said I could stay on their couch in the basement, which was great because there was no room in my mom's trailer because my aunt was up too. So I um, had a great weekend. We went to the Mandarin in Barrie Saturday night for dinner with my brother and my sister-in-law, and my oldest nephew we kind of celebrated his birthday. My youngest nephew, the little sock, he got to go see Ed Sheeran in Toronto, So and he was sending us videos all night from the concert. And it was pretty good. Um, and I hung out with my aunt. So Friday night, I hung out with nephew, youngest nephew, number one, uh, Bug. And um, we kind of just sat around outside under the gazebo and, and chit-chatted. My brother got a call. And no, he didn't didn't get a call Friday night. That was Saturday. Okay. So we were sitting there, we we're just kind of talking. Um and kind of my brother and I were kind of getting reacquainted because, as you know, um he wasn't talking to me for a while. Well, now he's mad at our other sister, so <laughs> he's not mad at me anymore. <laughs> well, he's not really mad at her. They're they're having a difference of opinion. Um, my brother doesn't really get mad, he gets confused. He gets um, upset, but he doesn't get mad, and he he doesn't understand sometimes. So he distances himself until he can sort it out and come up with appropriate questions that you know he can ask without hurting and offending the other party. So um, that was fine. We all went to bed. I hung out with Bug, and then he was off to the concert the next day, and I was, um, I don't even know how to put this nicely. I hate to shop. I really do. I hate shopping, especially when I have no money. Sorry, it's summertime in Sutton. I've waited as long as I can. It's usually a lot quieter by this time of night. Um, but it is what it is. Anyway, uh, I hate shopping. I go in, I get what I need to get. If I'm looking for something specific, then, you know, I'll look through the aisles. The only store that I actually like going aisle by aisle is the dollar store. I love doing that in Dollarama. Dollar Tree, I love going aisle by aisle because you never know what you're going to find. You always find some really cool stuff. So, I hate shopping. I really do. And I hate shopping with my mom and my aunt because they have money, and I don't. And I wish I could keep up with them, but I can't. So And my mom didn't actually have any money this time around either. So... Two of the stores, we sat in the car while my aunt went in, and then the final store, I just, I needed to get out of the car. I was tired of listening to my mom complain about everything, and I just needed to get out and stretch my legs, so I went in with her, and it was quick. She didn't find what she was looking for anyway, Um, which is good because the store was such chaos. like, home sense, come on. Straighten out your stores, all right? So we, sit, we and we only did it because we had time to kill. Mom was like, I promise you, I'll time it so that we'll do the shopping and we'll get done quick. And then it'll be time for dinner. That's not how it worked out. So we ended up at the Mandarin sitting in the parking lot for half an hour waiting for my brother and his family to show up. So they finally showed up and we actually got seated right away. We were half an hour early for our reservation, but we got seated right away. And I actually took... I called Dave on the phone and said, okay, I'm going to walk you through the buffet. Because they don't have stuff like this that I've seen in California. So I took him through the dessert buffet first, which is miles of desserts. And then, um, and every dessert you could think of, there was cheesecake, there was chocolate cake, there was butter tarts, ice cream, waffles, pastries, fruit, Jello, like any dessert you could think of, it was there. So then there's you start at the one end and there's french fries and onion rings and mashed potatoes and gravy and roast beef and pizza and roast pork and um and then you get to the sushi bar there's an entire sushi bar um and then there's the salad bar which you'll get like your your cold shrimp and your cold oysters Um, or clams, sorry, your cold clams, oysters, shrimp, um, crab, and, you know, other normal salad stuff. And then there's the Chinese food. And then, um, then there's all the deep fried stuff, like the fish and the, yeah, it's like a ton of food. So, you, you, I, I rolled myself out of there. <laughs> I totally put on the bib and pulled myself up to the buffet and went, keep it coming. We ate way too much. So then we went back to my brother's and they brought out, um, my sister-in-law's brother had made a two cornhole, um, boards. So we played a couple of rounds of cornhole. And of course my brother kicked butt, beat everybody, uh, I finally had figured it out, though, near the end of the, ga- the game with my brother. I'd finally figured out how to do it. And I got a couple of cornholes myself. Uh, I had him laughing, though, because I said, you know, so whoever wins, like, if you win all the games, does that make you the grand cornholio? The great cornholio? He thought that was funny. So I think I'm going to make him a crown. So um, he had gotten a call um, that took him out. And it was a medical and I can't, I'm not going to discuss what kind of call or what happened. Um, but it was so surreal. Like I know when my dad used to get a call, he would go from dad to firefighter Harris and you would see that change in him. And mom would get out the map, find out where he was going. I'd get his shoes at the door. I'd start the car if it was winter, I'd clean the car off. Well, he All he had to do was put his pants on, his coat on, slip into his shoes and be out the door. And, I mean, you could see the physical change in him from relaxed, easygoing, you know, kind of guy to, boom, I'm a firefighter, what am I walking into? What do I need to be prepared for? Um, you know, it was, you could see him getting into that mental state. So when the call came through on my brother's pager, that he had a call. It was so surreal to watch him go from my little brother to firefighter and like seriousness. And you could see the look on his face and he already knew what kind of call he was going into. So he's already preparing himself mentally for what he could be walking into and what's going to be going on and what he needs to do. And, and he was gone. And I just kind of stood there and went, oh, oh that's my baby brother. I'm so proud. And, and I really am. And my mom had this box of paintings that my grandfather had done. And my aunt said she wanted to go through it first uh, and choose out, pick out the ones that she wanted. And then um, us kids would get next pick. Well, my brother happened to be over there. I took the box over and then my brother happened to be there while, um, mom, well they, while the box was sitting there. So he was kind of leafing through it and going through it. And he found an award that my dad had been given. I think it was an award or a certificate for one of the courses that he had completed. And I came over to the trailer and it was sitting there. My brother looks at it and he looks at me and he says, what does that mean to you? And I looked at it and I looked at him and I said, not as much as it means to you. And my brother's like, well, I kind of hope that I'm going to have one of my own one day. And I said, yeah, and how cool would it be to have dads on the wall and have yours on the wall right beside it that I have a no wall space to hang it and B I'm not the firefighter. My brother is. So things like that should go to my brother. They mean more to him. To me, it would just be hanging on to something that was my dad's and, I have learned over the years that you don't need to hang on to everything that that belonged to that person, that it's okay to let some things go, like the T-shirt that is no longer recognizable as a T-shirt because there are so many holes and it is so disintegrated that you can't even tell what it used to say at some point. So I have the patches from his... Motorcycle jacket. I have his motorcycle jacket. I have one of the four helmets that he had and I have the helmet that doesn't have the number that he had for the rest of his, his career. Um, I have the number when he we moved to Nickel. My dad joined the fire department in Nickel, and he was given the number 11 and that was the number on his helmet. Now, every so, every, after so many years, they have to retire their helmets. And they get to take them home. So my dad had a collection. And it's funny because he had four of them when he died. And we each got one. So I ended up taking number 11. Because when we moved to Port McNichol, it was right after my mom and dad got married. And we became a family. And then my sister was born. And my sister was the link that connected all of us that connected me and my dad together was through my sister because she shared my blood and she shared my dad's blood because, you know, we shared mom's blood and then my brother solidified that. And I've never, ever looked at my brother and sister as half. They're not half. They're my brother and my sister period. End of discussion. There is no half, sibling they're they're not half they're my brother and my sister um and my dad was my dad the minute they got married he presented me with a ring he said vows to me promising to be the best dad that he could be um and you know he was my dad so i kept the things that didn't mean anything to my brother and sister that they didn't have any recollection of or any emotional attachment to, like his leather jacket, like his motorcycle patches, like the number 11 helmet. They always knew my dad is number five because that when we, we moved to Midland, my brother and my sister were still young enough that they don't remember him being fireman in Nickel. They only remember him being a fireman in Midland. So it was only right that they got the number five and mom got a number five and I got the number 11. So I'm very happy with that. Um, I've always been very happy with that. That was my choice from the very beginning. And I have his, um, I think it's his Port MacNickel. Yeah. I have his Port McNichol fire patch, uh, fire department patch. That would mean nothing to my brother and my sister. But it means the world to me because I got to hang out at the fire hall. I got to ride on the fire trucks in the Santa Claus parade because my brother and sister were too little, and I was old enough to be on the um, committee to help with this with the the um, Christmas party after with for the firefighter Christmas party with Santa Claus. Um, me and my Gumby University sweatshirt. I love that sweatshirt. But it was a very surreal experience to see um, him go from little brother to firefighter. And then he came back and you could see he was kind of agitated and he just needed to to talk it out. And we did. We talked it out. We sat around um, the fire and No, he did get the call Thursday night, Friday night. I don't know. Anyway, we sat around and he got it out and we talked about it. And as a fireman's daughter, I know that's a thing that when they come home, especially if it's like a loss of life or something, they need to talk about it. They need to get it out. They need to verbally vomit what they just experienced so that they can let it go. It's, it's almost an unloading, an unpacking of everything that they just went through, all of the adrenaline and the training and everything that they had to do. And they need to unpack it and share it with the people they love the most, and then they can deal with it. And I remember as a kid, there was a few fires that my dad would come home from, and I, to this day, still don't know what they were about what happened but he would kind of take mom by the arm and lead her upstairs and they would go into the bedroom and lock the door and um mom would come out a couple hours later and tell us you know dad's having a nap leave him alone you know go and play go and do whatever um there was one particularly bad one that he just he came home and just fell into my mom's arms and cried and that was um The night he had to cut a friend of mine um, out of a car that she was trapped in and she died in his arms. And it was very hard for him because, A, he knew her. B, he had a daughter the same age. And there was nothing he could do for her. He did everything he could do. All he could do was hold her and comfort her while she died. And it was very hard on him. And I imagine things like that are very hard on um, firefighters. And I was telling my sister-in-law that there was a magnet on our fridge. that had a 1-800 number on it, a crisis line for family members of firefighters and police officers that we could call 24-7 if we needed to talk. And I asked my brother, I said, so do you, do they still have that crisis hotline? And he said, it's something different now, but yeah, he's got the number. On a magnet on his fridge for his family to use whenever they need to. Um, I did tell my one nephew, my youngest nephew, don't watch Backdraft, and he's like, why? Just don't do it. And he'd already seen the movie, so um, I said, yeah, when when I was a kid, Backdraft was that was when Backdraft came out, um, and we watched it. It came out, uh, it came out in theaters, and then. Uh, it finally came out on VHS. When did it go to let me see? When did back draft go to VHS? Okay. Uh, nineteen ninety-one. So I was nineteen when it came out. And um It was a very hard movie for me to watch. I burned up that 1-800 number like nobody's business. Um, Because I asked my dad when it came out on VHS, we all got together at the house and we watched it. And I was 19. So my sister was nine. My brother was seven. And um, I don't think my brother would remember. My sister might remember. Um, and I, I asked, we asked that, is that what it's like? And he says, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. That is exactly what a backdraft is. That's what happens. And we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, no, you don't. You need to stop doing that now. And um, every time he'd get a call, we would panic. And mom would call me because I was living on my own by that point in time. I had a one-year-old child and uh, mom would call me, dad's got a fire. I'm like, okay, I'm here. Let's talk. How's it going? And I would talk to her until dad came home. And sometimes we'd fall asleep on the phone because it would be, you know, three, four five hours, six hours. Um, And now there's like apps and things. So the wives know where the husbands are and they know they're either still at the fire or they're back at the hall and they're safe. We didn't have that. We had no way of knowing until dad came home that he was okay. And the biggest fire that he went to was the church fire they still talk about that fire to this day um let me see when did saint margaret's church in midland burn down when was that that was 1986 christmas eve of 1986 and it started at four in the morning and um <laughs> it's kind of funny Crazy lady across the street thought that um they were creating demons something like that at the church so um she set it on fire and out my dad went Christmas Eve morning off he went and... This was a big church. It was in the center of downtown. um, Like a couple of streets up. Huge Catholic church. With the, the bells. You know what a Catholic church looks like. Huge Catholic church. And we lived on the other side of town. But when you stood in my mom and dad's bedroom. You could see the flames and the smoke from the fire. It's like holy crap. So. My mom decided um, sometime after lunch because my dad had been gone since like four in the morning to go down and see like the ladies auxiliary were in contact with each other. And they're like, okay, let's go. They've got to be getting tired. They've got to be getting hungry. Let's go bring down some pots of coffee. We'll set up a table. We'll have some hot coffee there for them. We'll bring some sandwiches and see if they need anything else. Uh, Maybe grab some dry gloves from the hall take them down from the firehouse, take them down to them. Off they went. And I'm at the house with my brother and my sister. It's 1986. I am 14, 12. I was 12. No, 14. I was 14. <laughs> um, and my sister was four and my brother was two. So an hour later, Hour and a half later, my mom comes busting through the door with this big bag. What the hell? She says, put these in the dryer. She hands me this bag, reeks of smoke. And I'm like, oh, it's oh, awful. Smoke and suede. It's their gloves. And mom had said that they'd set up the table, you know, on the outside of the perimeter, and they had hot coffee and they had sandwiches. And they noticed that the guys were walking up and just kind of looking at the coffee pots and their shoulders would fall and they would kind of walk away. And finally, um, one of the other women like, what is the problem? Why aren't you getting hot coffee? Their gloves were frozen. It was Christmas Eve in 1986 when winters were cold. We had snow in December back then. And their gloves were frozen solid. So they couldn't even hold the cup. they were frozen in the shape of their axe or the hose or whatever it was they happened to be holding. So my mom and a few of the other women gathered up, went to the firehouse, got the dry gloves, brought them back, gathered up all the wet ones, and dispersed them amongst the houses for the la- of the ladies' auxiliary. So my mom brought me in a bag and I was load after load into the dryer, drying the gloves into the dryer, drying the gloves. And then she would come back about 45 minutes later because she'd know a load would be done. And I would hand her the dry gloves and she would bring me more wet gloves. And we just kind of kept that going all day. I have goosebumps telling you this, by the way. So at the end of the day, I think it was about five o'clock, six o'clock maybe, um, my dad came home, the fire was out. And we had a lovely dinner with my grandparents. Now, the running family joke was that my dad never wanted to have dinner with my grandparents because every time my grandparents came for the weekend or came for dinner, my dad got a fire call and he would have to leave. So the running joke was that my dad didn't want to have dinner with my grandma. Anyway, so we have dinner and it's Christmas Eve, so we have specific shows on TV that we wanted, we watch as a family. And one of them was uh, Red Buttons Happy Hobos Christmas Special. So we had just curled up on the couch. I was snuggled into my dad. And we were going to watch this and then go to bed. And I looked up at him. And I don't think till the day he died he ever forgave me for this. I looked up at him and I said, Wouldn't it be funny if the fire started again? And he says, first of all, he glared at me, said, no, that would not be funny. But it has been out too long now. It's not going to start up. No sooner were the words out of his mouth and his beeper went off. The fire had started again because what had happened was the church had collapsed in on itself. So the water wasn't actually reaching into the basement where a lot of the dry timber was sparks had fallen down and ignited and had smoldered for several hours and had ignited the wood and was now fully engulfed again. Off he went, but that didn't stop him from getting up at the crack of dawn. He was gone most of the night. That didn't stop him from getting up at the crack of dawn with us kids on Christmas morning and making it the best Christmas morning You know, we always had amazing Christmas mornings with dad. We would get up, we would open up our stockings, dad would put coffee on, the adults would have coffee, us kids would have chocolate. Um, We would have the orange that was in our stocking. And then mom had a rule, we had to eat something before we opened the presents under the tree. We called it opening the tree. So we would open up our stockings and there was always like some really good toys with your stocking to kind of hold you off. Like I always got like a new Barbie. And a bunch of new Barbie clothes. And as I got older it was like makeup. You know the latest CD that I wanted. Um, my my rabbit fur mittens. There's actually a picture of me in my red and white striped onesie. I am about 14, 15 years old. And I'm wearing my red and white striped Christmas onesie. And it even had the flap in the back. So that I didn't have to, like, unzip the entire thing and take it off to pee. Had a flap in the back that I could just drop it down and pee. It was great. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. There's this picture of me, hair in seven, like, curly as curly could be, um, with my rabbit fur mittens on and my box of turtles. Because I love turtles. And I would always try and steal my grandma's. But I got my own box that year. And then we would grab a piece of toast... The adults would kind of collect themselves, have their coffee, and then we would sit and we would open the tree. Now, opening the tree usually took two to three hours because my mom was very big on giving each person attention as they opened their gift. So, you know, you would get your gift, everybody's watching you while you open it. You find, okay, this is from Grandma, this is from Auntie Kathy, and you'd open up the gift and you show everybody and go, Oh, pictures would be taken, and you'd be like, "Oh, yay! awesome! I got a pair of socks!" Woohoo! And you'd put it aside, and the, the next person would get a gift and open their gift. So it would take quite a while, and as our families grew, that particular tradition got modified um, over the years <laughs> to kind of keep it going. Um, and then we would do big breakfast, and Dad would make. Bacon and eggs and sausage and hash browns and toast and pancakes. And um, mom would mix up. Well, she would mix it up the night before. She would make the Christmas punch, which us kids would always steal at least two glasses of. Um, the adults would get giddy. By, because by the time we finished opening the tree, it would be like 1130, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Because we were usually up at like 7. So we, the rule was we weren't allowed to wake up mom and dad until we could see daylight. So as soon as the sun started coming up, they were up. We were getting them up. So we would have big breakfast, which would be around brunch. And then the adults would start drinking the Christmas punch. And we would have what grandma would call nibblies for the rest of the day while they got the turkey in the oven and they started getting all the preparations ready for the big dinner. And nibblies consisted of like Polish sausage, cheese, crackers, um, veggies and dip, shrimp ring, um, piggies in a blanket, like the sausage pastries, um, bagel bites, stuff like that. Yummy stuff. Like finger foods. Kid, we loved it. And as I got older, I was allowed to drink the Christmas punch more and more. Oh, my gosh, that stuff is just so good. Um, it's a can or two cans of pink frozen lemonade, uh, two cans of orange juice, frozen orange juice, um, a two liter bottle of bright, I think, or ginger ale. Might be ginger ale. I could be wrong. It might be ginger ale. And then a can of maraschino cherries, or a jar of maraschino cherries, can of pineapple, can of mandarin oranges, um, and a 40-ouncer of Southern Comfort. And like when you put the juice, the frozen juice in, and you know how it says add three cans of water? Well, add three cans of water. So... Yeah, oh, and then she would mix it all up the night before, and she would put it out in the garage. So it would kind of be a slushy by morning, and oh, it was so good. I didn't like the cherries. I could do without the cherries. Um, but us kids go, we're eating our fruit. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're staggering around the house. Apparently, The adults didn't care because they were actually drinking it. But, uh, yeah, drunken Christmas at my house when we were kids. <laughs> but, No matter how late my dad was out at a fire, um, if it was a special occasion the next day, like Christmas or a birthday, he was up. He was there. He was engaged. He didn't miss out on um, family uh, events because he was at a fire. He sucked it up like this is a man that would be at a fire all night long, come home, shower, get dressed and go to work for eight hours because he also had to work a regular job because he was just a volunteer. And now I say just a volunteer. I don't mean, oh, he's just a volunteer. That doesn't make him a real firefighter. Most small towns back in those days were manned completely by volunteer firefighters. There were no full time guys. I think. When I was a teenager, I think there were four full-time guys on the Midland Fire Department, and the rest was volunteers. And when my dad died, um, it was still standard practice that the volunteers didn't get the town insurance when they died. The the widows didn't get the town insurance like the full-time guys did. The widows didn't get WSIB like The full-time firefighters did and my mom fought that and the Midland Fire Department went to bat and fought to have that changed. And now volunteer firefighters are entitled to the same insurances, the same ceremonies, the same um, uh, benefits as a full-time firefighter because in rural areas that's what you have. Like, out where my brother lives, there are not full-time guys. I think, I don't believe there are full-time guys at his hall. I think they are all volunteers. They all work full-time jobs. And they volunteer as firemen out there. And they have to go to the hall and then out on the call. So, yeah. Anyway, that's the life of a firefighter. (laughs) I was totally not where I was planning on taking this podcast tonight, but there it is. That's the direction we went with. And it's not as ranty as I was expecting it to be. And it's still very hot. It is still 83.4 degrees in my apartment. Um, But I have two fans in my bedroom, and I think I might take this fan depending on what the other two are capable of doing. I might take a third fan and my ceiling fan into the bedroom tonight. Um, but once I get in there and I'm not moving around, the two fans are, are pretty good. They keep me cool enough. Like, I don't care if it's blowing on my legs or whatever. As long as it's blowing on my face, I'm good. That makes me happy. So, yeah. Um, I haven't been up to much this week. I've kind of kept my head down. And like I said, it was a really good time. At my brother's. And then Sunday. Oh yeah. Sunday. Um, I went and had a uh, throw together picnic at the park with my grandson. Got to hang out with uh, Beans for the afternoon on Father's Day. It was quite lovely. I got to spend Father's Day with my grandson. And my son did not. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. Um, I think... Amber said he was sleeping. I'm not sure. I don't know. Didn't really ask. Um, I was there to see James. I was there to see my grandson. I was there to hang out with him. And we had a blast. And by the end of the day, he was climbing all over me. He was driving his monster trucks up and down me. And, you know, um, he gave me a hug. And And it's very hard for him Um because he is autistic, so you don't just grab him and hug him. You have to make him aware, and if he says no, you don't. So I can I have a hug? And he gives me a hug. You don't kiss him either. He kisses you. He tells you, no, no, no. No, no, no. And I wasn't pushing him correctly on the swing at first. I was pushing him in the front because I wanted to look at him. He's like, no, 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 no. He showed me how to hold my hands and then told me I had to be behind him. All right. That's that's how it had to be. That's that's the way it was. That's how you push somebody on a swing. You don't do it any other way. This is how you push somebody on a swing. So, oh, I'm terribly sorry. I'm behind him. Pushed him on the swing. And it's really funny because he's afraid of heights. He doesn't like heights. Well, not that he's afraid. He doesn't like them. And when he's sitting, he'll tell you, too high, too high. So when you're pushing him, he he doesn't like to go really high. But do you remember when you were a kid and you'd flip around and you'd lay on the swing on your belly and you'd run and then you'd fly? He loves to do that. The higher he gets, the happier he is. Absolutely hilarious. Um, So, yeah, we hung out for the afternoon and then uh, came home and it's been a quiet week. I did laundry yesterday. Um, I love my dryer. I told you I love my dryer. I really love my dryer. It makes doing laundry so much easier. It's not hanging around in my apartment for three days drying. I mean, the washing process still takes the same amount of time, 45 minutes per load. And I usually have four loads so that it takes all day. And then there's the rinse because I wash everything first and spin it. And then I will empty the tub. Like, I empty the tub during the washing because the water starts to look a little grody. I'll empty it out. I'll fill it up again. And then when I'm done with the washing, I will rinse out the tub, fill it back up again with clean water, and put my fabric softener in and then run the rinse. Now, I only run the rinse, I only do a 15-minute cycle with the rinse and then spin it and then go in the dryer. But my dryer is great. I love my dryer. <laughs> I really do love my dryer. Um, and I did, like I said, I did get some writing done today, so that's a plus. But I know I've been kind of struggling. I told you last week I was struggling with some, some issues that I'm kind of dealing with. And um, I did the, the the right thing. I did the good thing. The issues I was having, I spoke about them to the person I was having the issues with. And it wasn't that I was having issues with them. Um, There was just some things going on and I was upset and, and not feeling neglected, but disappointed. And I was concerned for them. So we had a conversation. We had a dialogue. I expressed how I felt. And then I got mad at them because they were just like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? No, that's not the point of this conversation. It's a two-way street. You need to converse back. I need to know your feelings, your thoughts, what's going on on your end, not just what do you want me to do? Because that's not how I want this relationship to work. I don't want to dictate what they do in this relationship. They are a person with thoughts and feelings and actions and and ideas and emotions all their own. So, no, that's not how this is going to work. And then I got a little upset the other night um, because it happened again. And I expressed to him the next day, yes, I was mad at you. Yes, I am kind of angry at you. But we came to a solution. And I think that moving forward, this solution will stop a lot of that. Um, There will be no more disappointment. There will be no more frustration because we will do the one thing before the other thing happens. And then, you know, that'll be that. So... That's what you're supposed to do in a relationship. If something is bothering you, you don't just ignore it. You don't just pass it off. You don't just just let it slide. You talk to the other person. And the other person might see it as something small and trivial. But, yes, it is small and trivial right now because we're talking about it. If we don't talk about it right now, eventually it's not going to be so small and trivial. And it might just be that straw. That breaks the camel's back and that ends the relationship. And I don't want that to, excuse me, I don't want that to happen. So, if you are in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a family relationship, and something is bothering you, go to that person and talk to them and say, Hey, look, this has got me confused, or this has me upset, or you said this and I'm not quite sure I'm understanding it correctly. Could you explain? Can we talk about this? And talk it out. Work it out. Catch it before it gets to be something big. If it's something small and the other person can go, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, let's do this or, or no, I meant that. Before you let it fester. Because I'm a festerer. I will hang on to something and I will overthink it. And 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 overthink it and tear it apart and then overthink it again and then look at it from a different side and add to it and then overthink it again until I think myself into a really big issue. Out of something very small. That was never meant to be a big issue that could never that that didn't have to be a big issue to begin with. So, yeah, talk things out. If you have a problem, if something is bothering you, whether it upsets the other person or not is irrelevant. If it upsets the other person, okay, well, you need to talk about it. You need to get it out there and work it out. Don't intentionally hurt the other person's feelings. Like, don't be a dick about it. There's no need to be a douche. But talk about it. Say, hey, look. I'm not really feeling this, this new realm of behavior, and it's kind of upsetting me. I'm kind of worried about it. Um, I want to talk to you about it. I want to make sure you're okay, and and what can we do to put you in a better place? And I know that sounds very patronizing and very analytical, but use your own words. Don't use my words. So. Anyway, that is your words of wisdom for today. Um, freaky Friday. We're gonna do a little bit of Freaky Friday today because I had something freaky happen the other night. So I bought these um, solar lights, and they're to kind of they're they're supposed to be outside, and you're supposed to put them in your like trees or whatever, and they look really pretty. Well, I haven't actually hung them up yet because I wanted to make sure they were going to work. That where I had the solar panels sitting, they were going to get enough light and they were going to work. So I'm lying in bed the other night and this this flashing is catching my eye and I'm looking. And the one set of solar lights, it's dark. Okay. I have it on video. It's dark. It's nighttime. There are no cars going by. There's no clouds. There's nothing blocking the street light. There's no way that a shadow could be passing in front of the solar panel because the solar panel is facing the window, which is open, so it's not like there's anything reflecting on the glass. It's dark. And these lights are blinking. So I get up, start filming, and I'm walking towards them, and I get within two or three feet of them and they stop. So I back up a little bit and they start again. And I walk towards them and they stop. And I back up and they start again. Now, I'm looking at them right now as I'm telling you this. The solar panel has not moved. So it's not like it was catching a glint of the light in the living room and it was kind of catching the glint. And the The solar panel would have to be moving for that to happen. Um, You have to cover the solar panel for the lights to come on if there's light on them. Like if I turn them into to face the inside of the living room right now, the lights would go off because there's light in the living room. When it's dark, the lights come on. That's how solar lights work. And these ones don't have a flash setting. They're either on or they're off. They don't flash. They don't do the run. They don't blink. Twinkle, nothing. They're on or they're off. So I I checked the solar panel. I did the video and they look, you cover the solar panel, they're off. Take the hand off and they face the light, they're off. Turn them back towards where they were, they're on. And there's no explanation for why this happened. None whatsoever. And then last night, or the same night, I'm looking at them. And I didn't, I wasn't filming when I looked. And the friend that I was telling about it, she's like, well, get your equipment out and see if somebody's there. Um, no, I don't think so. Rule number one of investigating, never investigate where you live if you want to continue living there. If there's something here, I don't want to know. And y'all remember the Stony Creek incident? I am very susceptible. I am a conduit for that kind of stuff. I don't want to open that door in my home. I've had nightmares about that. No, literally, I have had nightmares that my house. My, my apartment was haunted and shit was flying around and it was up to, yeah. So, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And I'm looking at the lights and I don't know why I said it. And I know that when my live studio audience actually goes back and listens to this podcast, he's going to tell me I'm a dumbass. I know Misha's going to laugh. I looked at the lights and I'm like, do it again if there's somebody here. And it looked like a dark shadow passed in front of the lights. And I went, oh, shit. (laughs) Um, Nope, not doing that. Not going there. Um, I got up the next morning and you bet your bottom bippy I saged all my windows, all my doors and cleaned and cleansed and everything. And yeah, mm-hmm. no, you don't investigate where you live. You don't open that doorway because even if there's nothing there, just by investigating, just by calling out to those beyond the veil, you're opening a door. You're putting out a beacon to say, hey, I'm talking to you. Come talk to me. And it could be a ghost up the street. It could be a negative energy in the land across the road. They're going to notice that beacon. It's like a flashlight in the middle of the dark. And they're going to come. Once you open that door, you don't know where they're coming from. They're going to come. And I actually had a discussion the other day, yesterday. Um, about what a ghost is, and what a spirit is, and what a haunting is. And we both kind of, we agreed on some stuff, but we both had very vastly different opinions. They didn't believe that the soul stayed. Now, I can't speak to the soul, but I do believe the spirit, which could be the soul of the person, could be trapped here. That they either make the choice to stay instead of moving on, ascending or descending, whatever they believe, or they're forced to stay by either the family that lost them or they don't know they're dead (laughs) Or some traumatic event has chained them here. um, And they just get angry over time. And I don't think, if you're an asshole in life, I'm not entirely sure you're not an asshole in death. But you can, especially if your spirit is trapped in this realm, if you haven't crossed over and you're still interacting with the physical realm, I don't think your personality is going to change because you haven't crossed over to learn and and to get that higher meaning. You're still stuck here with what us grunts on the ground are experiencing. So I think that could make a spirit bitter and angry and violent and if you were bitter and angry and violent in life and you're still here after death you're still going to be bitter, angry, and violent. Um I also believe in land energy and, and ancient energies in general Not that have never been human, that are neither human nor demon, um, just negative energy. I also believe in large quantities of positive energy, too, but you don't really have much interaction with the positive energy because it's positive, it stays out of the way, it does good things. The negative energy, which is what I experienced, it was negative land, it was a land spirit, if you will, that um, possessed me, for lack of a better term. That's what happened when I was in Stony Creek. And if you want to listen to that episode, it's called um, So I Have a New Friend. You can go and listen to my experience. Um, There are witnesses to the events that occurred there are people that um, were participants in helping me to get out of the possession. Um, and it did as they as, as they tell you, it does start as an oppression and then moves to the possession. And it was not an experience that I care to have ever again. Um, I am very, very, very careful and and saying what I said the other night, looking at the lights and and kind of almost challenging like and seeing that dark shadow it that was a very quick yeah stop it <laughs> snapped me right out of what am i doing because i am here alone which makes me vulnerable to begin with yes i am in my home yes i am protected because i'm not an idiot my home is my sacred space that is my sanctuary that is where i talk to the higher powers that's where i talk to god that's where i i pray it's where i i connect with my spiritual side is in my home there isn't one part of my apartment that isn't a place where i haven't prayed where i haven't done something sacred My entire apartment is my sacred space. And I think I've done it that way because when I lived in the home in Midland, the only space I had that was mine, that was my sanctuary, was my bedroom, and that was violated. Whenever I left, it was violated. So my entire apartment is my space. Any negative crap that you have will be left on the outside of my door because I have Spelled my door to be as such. Nothing negative will get in my door. My windows are sealed. Metaphysically, of course, because it's summer. I'm not keeping my windows closed. But my windows are sealed. Nothing is coming in. So for me to actually say that to the lights the other night, that was me trying to subconsciously. Not maybe me, something subconsciously trying to get me to open a door inside my apartment to let it in. And that's not happening. So, yeah, the next day I reinforced everything and reinforced my own personal shielding and my own personal protections. Um, And I'm going to do it again tomorrow because I'm talking about it tonight. But... Yeah, don't ever investigate where you live. Now, yes, we have investigated Misha's house because when we first went to look at the house when she was thinking about buying it, or no, just after she bought it, I think it was just after she bought it, um, there was a very negative energy in the house. And it traveled through the heating ducts. And um, it was nasty. It was nasty, 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 nasty smell sulfur and it was just, was horrible. It was leaving marks on us. It was tormenting the children. So back then, and I mean, we're talking 18 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, 14 years ago, a long time ago. Back then we were working with the knowledge we had then. Um, The best we could do was trap it in the basement and then seal the door. And the only one that could go downstairs into the basement when the sub pump wasn't working, um, when the fuse panel wasn't working was me Uh, because I was the one that trapped it. So there was enough of a healthy fear between me and the dude. We call him the dude that, um, For the most part, he left me alone. Uh, Every now and again, when I would come up the stairs from the basement, he would grab onto my ankles. He would try and pull me back down. And I mean, I'm going up those stairs like a bat out of hell. But over the years, she's done things now to seal him in there. But he's still there and her mom's there. And that's what she said. Like, you know, I've investigated my house. I'm like, yeah, but we've locked the dude in the basement and we know your mom. So those are the things that haunt your house. You know, one of them is your relative. The other one's been there since you moved in. Um, there was a gentleman that lived in my apartment. Uh, and how I got the apartment is because he died in my bedroom. So, no, I don't want to open that door. Thank you very much. I'm good. (laughs) So yeah, no, I'm not going to be investigated. There are numerous places on the street when she comes to visit. If we want to investigate, there are enough places in the area. The entire street is haunted that we can investigate. We don't need to investigate my apartment. Thank you very much. Not going to happen. So yeah, don't ever investigate your own house. Now, if you have things that are happening, um, Fine. Call a professional. If you are a professional and things are happening in your house, you're not doing the job right. Really. If you've got paranormal activity happening in your house and you are a paranormal investigator with some street cred, with some experience under your belt, what are you doing? You're not protecting yourself because you're bringing that shit home. You're not clearing out your house because this is supposed to be your safe space. And it really used to bother me on a specific adventuring show when the guys would talk about stuff happening in their houses and how um, their marriages have broken up because of what they were bringing home. What is wrong with you? If you are in this line of work, then you know. There are things you need to do. If you are a Christian, you bless yourself with holy water. You wear your cross. You do your prayers. You surround yourself with white light to protect yourself when you are going on an investigation. You have a priest come and bless your home. You cleanse your home. If you are an alternative, you cleanse your home. You use sage. You cleanse your home. If you are an alternative, you ground and center and you shield yourself before you go into an investigation. And when you come out, you do the exact same thing. And you take the sage and you cleanse yourself and you leave it all behind. You don't bring it into your home. So if you are a paranormal investigator and you have any experience at all and you have done any research at all. And you have stuff going on in your home, you're asking for it. You're bringing that on yourself. Because you're allowing it to happen. You know how to get rid of it. You know how to remove it. If you're just doing it to collect evidence, then you are doing it wrong. You are in the business for the wrong reasons. People go into paranormal investigating to help people, to find ways to remove the entity from the home so that that family can sleep in peace, can enjoy their life in their home. And if you're doing it just to collect evidence and be famous, you're doing it wrong, and you need to stop it. Okay, that's enough lecturing for tonight. Um, I am going to wrap this up and bid you a good day. Um, as I say on my Lupas Bits, the TikTok, go have yourself a no-pants- No bra day. If you have to go out into the public, put on a bra, put on pants. At least put on pants. They frown on that. Um, But just have a day. And remember, you know the rules. Be kind and don't lick shit. All right, everybody. Until next week. See ya. Carry on you will son There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry, Don't you cry.